Well, good morning, everyone, and welcome to Get Well Church. So glad you've joined us for worship this morning. My name is Hunter Upton. I'm one of the pastors here at our South Haven campus of Get Well Church. Uh, glad you're here on this now winter again morning, but you know, by the time we leave in a few minutes, I'm sure it will be nice and warm outside. So just be ready. We're in the South. It's winter time. This is what happens as we get ready for spring, but glad that you're here, especially for our guests this morning. We're glad you're here. We'd love to meet you after service. Feel free to come by the Welcome Center. I'll be out in the lobby as well. Would love to, to meet you and shake your hand and, and tell you you're glad I'm glad that you are here. Now, we're kicking off a brand new series this morning where we're calling this series Getting to the Promise. We're going to spend the next six weeks walking through the book of Exodus, the high points that we see uh, in the book of Exodus. But, but one of the great things about the book of Exodus is that all throughout we see these glimpses of what God is going to do in the future. Yes, we, we hear what God's going to do in the past, but we get to look forward to what God's going to do as well through his son Jesus for us. And so excited as we get to walk through this uh, and get to see the, this deliverance to the promise that God had made then and the deliverance that God makes into the promise that we get to live into today because of Jesus Christ. And so our hope is that throughout the next six weeks, we'll get a deeper and greater understanding of God's grand plan uh, that he's had from the very beginning for each of us as we go through the book of Exodus. Now, before we uh, dive into the book of Exodus, as uh, Pastor Jonathan said earlier, we're going to take a look at what is the promise? What is the promise that's been given? Why, why is it important that we're getting to a promise in Exodus? So if you've got a Bible or a device you read from, we're going to be in Genesis chapter 12, and we're going to pick up in verse 1 to see what God has said there. But why, why a promise? Why do we need this promise? Well, if you were to open up uh, Genesis 1 and start taking a look and flipping a couple of pages, you'd see that things were great, wonderful, uh, what God had created. But soon we find that Adam and Eve and Satan uh, find themselves in quite a predicament because sin has entered the, the world. Sin becomes a problem. Uh, Satan thinks that he's won, but he hadn't. Because God has a plan, and he continues his plan of redemption, and he does so by calling this man named Abram. We later know him as Abraham, but we see this promise that he makes to Abram. So Genesis chapter 12, let's pick up verse 1. The Lord had said to Abram, go from your country, your people, and your father's household to the land I will show you. I will make you into a great nation, and I will bless you. I will make your name great and you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you and whoever curses you I will curse. And all peoples on earth, get this, all peoples on earth will be blessed through you. Now this is a beautiful promise from God. And as the story continues to go, we find that Abram is faithful to this command that God has given. And he arrives into this land that God shows him. And it's what we will later know as the promised land. Now, only part of the promise is kind of fulfilled as they're kind of foreigners in this land and standing there. Uh, and we find ourselves, as Genesis continues to go on, we find ourselves learning about uh, Abraham's grandson. Uh, at this time, who's the patriarch, and it's, it's Jacob. And they find themselves in the midst of a famine, the whole family. They're in, they're in the land, there's a famine that comes, and where do they go? Uh, well, it just so happens that in God's providence, uh, that one of Jacob's sons, Joseph, just happens to find himself in the position of leadership down in Egypt. And so, 
the family, they pack up and they find themselves in Egypt and they find themselves uh, being blessed by the Pharaoh of the time. Uh, him saying, hey, you know what? You're, you're Joshua's folks. Y'all come stay. Here's some land that you can come and inhabit for now. We'd love to have you. You're welcome here because he's been such a blessing uh, to us. And so they're settling there and they're waiting for the famine to pass. Well, the famine passes, but unfortunately, the people don't go back to possess the land that God had given them. See, while, yes, what we'll find in a second is that they've been obedient to be fruitful and multiply, as God had said at the very beginning, uh, they find themselves in a very much less than ideal kind of situation with the Egyptians. So let's pick up in Exodus chapter 1. We're going to pick up in verse 5. The descendants of Jacob number 70 and all Joseph was already in Egypt. All right, verse 6. Now Joseph and all his brothers and all that generation died. But the Israelites were exceedingly fruitful. They multiplied greatly, increased in numbers, and became so numerous that the land was filled with them. Then a new king, to whom Joseph meant nothing, came to power in Egypt. Look, he said to his people, the Israelites have become far too numerous for us. Come, we must deal shrewdly with them, or they will become even more numerous. And if war breaks out, we'll join our enemies, fight against us, and leave the country. So they put slave masters over them to oppress them with forced labor, and they built Pithom and Ramses as store cities for Pharaoh. But the more they were oppressed, the more they multiplied and spread. So the Egyptians came to dread the Israelites and worked them ruthlessly. They made their lives bitter with harsh labor and brick and mortar and with all kinds of work in the fields. And in all their harsh labor, the Egyptians worked them ruthlessly. Now, if you would have been a, an Egyptian, or not an Egyptian, an Israelite at this time, you would have clearly known the promise that God had made to your forefathers. You would have known that God had said to Abraham, I'm going to make you into this great nation. I'm going to bless you. And, and through you, all the nations are going to be blessed. Like you would have known all of this. And yet you find yourself in this and you would have thought, man, all hope is lost. It would have been easy to think that God had forgotten his promise, that somehow maybe God had gone back on his promise. But yet, no. See, so yes, the, 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 the people find themselves in slavery to the Egyptians, but God had made a promise. Uh, a promise to Abraham, their forefather, that through their family, not only would they have a land to possess, but they would be a blessing to all the nations. But how? How are they going to do this if, if they're being oppressed? How are they going to do this if they find themselves in this foreign land? And it may seem, you know, like this is not likely at this point in the story, but sometimes things aren't always as they seem. You see, what we have to remember is uh, because of God's character, because of God's reputation, we have to understand this, is that God is always faithful to fulfill his promise. Always. Always. See, and since God always fulfills his promises, then surely God is going to deliver the people in some miraculous way into the promise that he has made. And while the people of God couldn't see what he was doing, he's doing this in the background because he's going to be faithful to the covenants that he makes. So how does he do it? He's going to do so through a child. A child. He's going to, going to bring deliverance through a child. 
Now, even that kind of seems unlikely because if you find yourself at the end of Exodus chapter 1, verse 22, it talks about Pharaoh ordering that every Hebrew boy that is born must be thrown into the Nile. So how in the world is this going to happen? Well, God had placed a nudge in a mother's heart. Can you only imagine, mamas? Had placed a nudge in a mama's heart that she was to save her child's life. She gives birth to this child and she hides him for three months. And then she makes a basket boat. Can you imagine making this? Makes this basket boat from the, to float in. And I imagine that she's praying the whole time as she's putting this child into the water. And the child's sister is, is running along watching to see what's going to happen to her brother as he's, he's floating down the Nile. And just then, Pharaoh's daughter comes down to bathe. She finds the child. And you can only imagine kind of what's going through Pharaoh's daughter's mind at that moment of going, huh. And she says, this, this is, must be one of the Hebrews' babies. But instead of doing what her father had commanded, she draws the baby up out of the water and raises him as her own. She calls him Moses, which means I drew him out of the water. You see, what happened was not without purpose. God saved Moses from death for something greater that God had in store. You see, here's the thing is that God is in the business. He's in the business of saving people from something for something. He, what he does, he does on purpose, for purpose, even if we don't understand it at the time. And if you don't believe me, let's just, let's just kind of play out some more of Moses' story here. If you continue on in, in the story, what we find is that Moses quickly ends up with a, a very, very interesting story. One that so much so that you go, I'm not sure that God picked the right guy. All right? Uh, so Moses, he, he's a Hebrew. Yes, he's, he's saved from, from death. But, but Moses, he doesn't grow up like the Hebrews. Uh, instead, he grows up in the palace with Pharaoh. He, he eats the royal food. He gets a royal education. All the while, his people are being oppressed. They aren't getting any of this. What a privileged life he has. But then, y'all, he wasn't perfect. One day, he sees an Egyptian beating one of the Hebrews, and he loses his cool, and he murders him. So now, Moses is a murderer. Not only is Moses a murderer, he becomes a fugitive. He's scared to death of Pharaoh, of what he's going to do. He doesn't want to face conviction of his wrongdoing, so he flees. But years later, 40 years later, he finds himself tending a flock for his father-in-law, Jethro, and he notices something very interesting. What we find is that Moses is standing on Mount Horeb, which is, is called the Mountain of God. This is what we find in Exodus chapter 3. So if you want to turn there, Exodus chapter 3, we'll pick up in verse 2. There the angel of the Lord appeared to him in flames of fire from within a bush. Moses saw that though the bush was on fire, it did not burn up. So Moses thought, I will go over and see this strange sight. Why this bush does not burn up? When the Lord saw that he had gone over to look, God called from him within the bush, Moses, Moses. And Moses said, here I am. Do not come any closer, God said. Take off your sandals, for the place where you are standing is holy ground. Then he said, I am the God of your father, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob. 
At this, Moses hid his face because he was afraid to look at God. The Lord said, I have indeed seen the misery of my people in Egypt. I've heard them crying out because of their slave drivers, and I am concerned about their suffering. So I've come down to rescue them from the hand of the Egyptians and to bring them up out of the land that is good and spacious land, a land flowing with milk and honey, the home of the Canaanites, Hittites, Amorites, Perizzites, Hivites, and Jebusites. And now the cry of the Israelites has reached me, and I have seen the way the Egyptians are oppressing them. So now go. So now go. I am sending you to Pharaoh to bring my people, the Israelites, out of Egypt. Now, I wonder how much time passed between Moses realizing, hey, there's this bush on fire over here, and going, it's still burning. How much time passed before he finally goes over to try to figure out what in the world is going on? And I would be a little perplexed, too, if the bush started talking to me and saying my name, like, what in the world is going on? And at first, Moses doesn't realize who it is, but then God identifies himself. He realizes and recognizes he is in the presence of his holy God, the God of his forefathers. And so he hides himself. He goes, but I can't, I can't look upon the face of, of God. And God recognizes and tells Moses that he's heard the cry. He's heard the cry. He's concerned. His heart is going out. See, God is a promise maker and a promise keeper. And what we find is that God is moving to action in what he has promised to deliver them from the Egyptians and into the promise that he had given to their forefathers. And here's the thing. That, that, that guy that had been saved from death from the very beginning is now being called to leading God's people into the, the promise through miraculous deliverance that he had no idea he would be doing. See, while it would seem that, that God calling you and saying, hey, I want you to go, I want you to do this, it seems like a no-brainer, right, to all of us. We're like, well, yeah, if God said do that, y'all, we're humans. And guess what? So is Moses. And what we find in the story, if you keep kind of going through the story, he gives a slew of excuses as to why he's not the guy. All these reasons. Uh, we give plenty of excuses too. And just a few of, of Moses' excuses are that he's, he's incompetent. He's like, I, I, don't know, I don't know how to do this. He, he's got ignorance. He's got hypocrisy. He's got just flat out defiance, just to name a few of these things. But at every excuse, what happens is God counters it. He counters it with a sign and he counters it with his assurance that he's going to go with Moses every step of the journey. He has nothing to worry about. See, God tells Moses that he's going to be with him. He tells Moses that, here's the thing, the people will know that it is I, the Lord, who sends you. God's going to show his power and that God's going to provide for Moses' weaknesses all along the way. See, here's the thing is that God cares more about availability and obedience than our ability. We might have all these excuses, but all that God's asking is that we would be available and obedient. See, Moses, he honestly felt like he had tried everything, and God continues to counter him. And finally, he's just like, look, Lord, send someone else. <laughs> I feel like I've been there before. But God had called him to a task. And Moses, what we find eventually in chapter 4, verse 18 and following, is that Moses does go. He does. 
Moses, even though he argued with God over this call, even though he was trying to make every excuse, he finally makes himself available to God and he moves forward in obedience to go and talk to Pharaoh. Moses didn't have all the answers. He didn't. He didn't have all the answers. He didn't know how it was going to happen. He didn't know what Pharaoh was going to say. He didn't know how it was all going to play out. He didn't know how in the world they were going to leave Egypt. He had no idea. But he went. See, there, there's this beautiful thing for us to see. Is that our availability and our obedience to God can become a blessing to others. And what Moses didn't quite maybe understand just yet, but yet he continued in that, that availability and obedience was that he wouldn't just be a blessing for him, but to be a blessing for the whole world. Same is true of us, is, is when we're available, when we're obedient to God, it becomes a blessing to others as well. There's this beautiful correlation between obedience and blessing. It's not just for ourselves, but especially for those around us as we follow the direction of our Heavenly Father. And so God's going to be faithful he would be, and, and time tells it, but God would be faithful to covenant that he had made with Abraham. And God assures Moses and his people that he's going to deliver them out of the hand of Pharaoh, out of the slavery, and into the promise that he has made. So let's see what happens. Exodus chapter 6, picking up in verse 2. God also said to Moses, I am the Lord. I appeared to Abraham, to Isaac, and to Jacob as God Almighty, but by my name, the Lord, I did not make myself fully known to them. I also established my covenant with them to give them the land of Canaan, where they resided as foreigners. Moreover, I have heard the groanings of the Israelites and the Egyptians are enslaving, and I have remembered my covenant. Therefore, say to the Israelites, I am the Lord, and I will bring you out from under the yoke of the Egyptians." I will free you from being slaves to them, and I will redeem you with an outstretched arm and with mighty acts of judgment. I will take you as my own people. Listen, I will take you as my own people, and I will be your God. Then you will know that I am the Lord your God who brought you out from under the yoke of the Egyptians. And I will bring you to the land I swore with an uplifted hand to give to Abraham, to Isaac, and to Jacob. I will give it to you as a possession. I am the Lord. Friends, the time is coming when God will bring deliverance. And we're going to find that as we continue in this series. God's going to bring deliverance. The name of the Lord will be known across the world. God's people will be redeemed. And spoiler alert for if you haven't read much of the Old Testament, they do get to the promised land. It's a beautiful thing. But here's the point. So that's just the beginning of the promise. They do, they get the land, and that's only part of the promise because the blessing to all the nations is the part that's got to follow. See, while the people had experienced a physical deliverance, it would soon and very soon, it had already been evident, but it would become even more evident that they also needed a spiritual deliverance as well. Not just God's chosen people, but all people. And so God makes another covenant. We find this further in the story through the prophet Jeremiah where God talks about this new covenant that he's going to make for all people. And it's this, Jeremiah chapter 31, verse 31. The days are coming, declares the Lord, when I will make a new covenant with the people of Israel and with the people of Judah. 
It will not be like the covenant I made with their ancestors when I took them by the hand to lead them out of Egypt because they broke my covenant, though I was a husband to them, declares the Lord. This is the covenant I will make with the people of Israel after that time, declares the Lord. I will put my law in their minds and I will write it on their hearts. I will be their God and they will be my people. That sounds familiar, doesn't it? No longer will they teach their neighbor or say to one another, know the Lord, because they will know me from the least of them to the greatest, declares the Lord. For I will forgive their wickedness and will remember their sins no more. So there's a, there's a new and greater covenant that would be on the horizon. One that God will show his faithfulness to as well. Because God, knowing the plight, knowing the, the, the chains of sin that held each other down, he sent his one and only son, friends, a child, a child to bring deliverance. Jesus Christ, too, was saved as a baby from death. You may remember the story, King Herod sought to kill Jesus, but God saves him. The family goes where of all places in the world? Egypt. <laughs> they flee to Egypt until it's safe for them to come back to the promised land. Jesus saved from death for something greater. He returns to the promised land. He grows up in wisdom and stature before the Lord and others. And here's the thing, unlike Moses, Instead of giving excuses, he's always faithful. He's always obedient. He's always willing to bend to the will of the Father. Jesus was available. Jesus was obedient to God, and he rested in the Spirit's power upon him, working through him. And because of his perfect submission to God, all who place their faith in him, in this free and perfect and beautiful gift of grace and salvation, they're saved. Not from a physical deliverance uh, in Egypt, but from a spiritual slavery of sin and death that we need, so desperately need saving from. And friends, here's one of the beautiful things is that this story is still playing out because guess what? That day is coming whenever he will crush the head of that serpent in that garden once and for all forever. It'll be done. And we get to be in a beautiful and restored relationship with God in the fullness of that we don't even get to experience today, but yet we get a glimpse. You know why? Because of Jesus, because of Jesus. Paul wrote about this, about God's fulfilled faithfulness and this promise in the new covenant. Whenever he writes this in Colossians chapter one, verse 13, he says, for he has rescued us from the domain of darkness and brought us into the kingdom of the son he loves in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. The Son is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn over all creation. For in him all things were created, things in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or powers or rulers or authorities. All things have been created through him and for him. He is before all things, and in him all things hold together. He is the head of the body, the church. He is the beginning and the firstborn from among the dead, so that in everything he might have the supremacy. For God was pleased to have all his fullness dwell in him and through him to reconcile to himself all things, whether things on earth or things in heaven, by making peace, 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 through his blood shed on the cross. 
While with the call of Moses, God brings deliverance to his people into a promise, Moses is but a type. He's a, it's a typology of the one who would come, who would bring deliverance of all people, all people, into God's promise of a full and eternal life with God, restoring a beautiful relationship that sin broke. See, God saved you from something for something. And that something is this. I don't want you to miss out on this. Don't miss out on the fullness of life that's available to you in Jesus Christ today. Don't miss out on it. See, that sin that, that, that once held you down, it doesn't have to any longer because of the powerful name of Jesus. He's able to set you free. That striving that you might put forth to keep trying to earn God's, God's salvation and way and favor, all of that's in vain because Jesus paved the way for you. We just have to accept that gift. And friends, you may have accepted it a long time ago, but you may be saying like, Lord, remind me. Lord, remind my heart that I'm secure in you because of what Jesus has done. All that God asks is that we would be available and we would be obedient to him and leave the rest to him. Leave the rest to him. So are you available? Are you obedient? Are you tapped into the fullness of life that's available to you today in Jesus? Following him and submitting to him will always prove to be a blessing. Even if we can't see it in the moment, even if it doesn't make sense in the moment, it will always prove to be a blessing. And Moses, he knew the promise. He knew the promise. And he began to trust in the one who made the promise and that he would make good on his promise. Friends, we can do the same. Because our God is faithful. Amen. Let's pray. Father, we are grateful for your truth. We're grateful for your word. We're grateful for this scripture that we get to open, Lord. And we get to see of your mighty hand at work. And Lord, we know that what you did then was, was just a foreshadow of the great deliverance that you would bring to us through Jesus. And so, Lord, we celebrate the fact that you do care about a people. Lord, we do, we do celebrate that, that you make a promise and that you are a promise keeper. So Lord, would you help us today to give thanks and praise to you, Lord Jesus, that through you, Jesus, we can find redemption, that through you, Jesus, we find forgiveness, that through you, Jesus, we find deliverance into a life that you, that God prepared for us long ago. And so, Lord, I pray that we would rest in that today. Lord, draw us near. Draw us near. Lord, we love you. We praise you. Help us to be obedient. Help us to be available. Help us to trust you, Jesus. As in his name we pray, amen.